Welcome to Shouts of Grace Radio, practical conversations from God's Word, hosted by Utah's own Pastor Steve Pearson of Redemption Hill Church in Saratoga Springs. At Shouts of Grace Radio, it's our purpose to encourage you to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. Today, we're taking a break from our regular format to sit in on the teaching ministry at Redemption Hill Church. So get out your Bible and let's get started. If you have a Bible this morning, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, as you're turning there, I want to read for you out of John chapter 8, because that is where we are going to land. If you don't have a Bible, you can um, open up our app, and you can down, or you can just open up the Bible there. If you don't have that, then you got to get with it. You know, you got to download our app. Um, But John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus comes off the heels of dealing with an adulterous woman who everybody despised. And he goes and forgives her, dismisses her accusers. It's one of um, the most epic stories you'll find um, in the book of John as far as the compassion of God. And so on the heels of that, you come to verse 12 and Jesus stands up and he says something. He says, Jesus spoke to the, to the crowd saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony isn't true. In other words, you're a liar. Jesus answered, if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you don't know where I've come from or where I'm going. Friday night, me and my wife kind of went out on a date kind of to do the Christmas shopping thing, right? Every year she kind of goes and gets the presents by herself. And she's just kind of letting me know this year that she didn't think that was cool. And so Friday we went out. But before we did, we, we went to have dinner at this amazing, I'll just put a plug in, amazing Mexican food restaurant in American Fork. I don't even know what it's called, like agave, mobave or something. Whatever it is, it, it's, it's a little bit of money, but man, it is sickening good. Not sickening, like sickening, but it is just good. And so we sat there. I didn't even want to leave. I just wanted to eat their, their chips and salsa and, 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 and everything else that went with our dinner. I won't tell you um, because, you know, you'll, you'll think, you'll, you'll, you'll judge me. Anyway, um, but it was good. I'll just say that, right? And so once we got done with that, um, we headed over to the mall. And the mall on a Friday night, you know, a week and a half before Christmas, you can imagine the crowds the lines and the no parking, and it was cold outside and all of that. At some point, we made our way to the body lotion store, as you always do. No, don't go. Um, (laughs) We made our way. I don't know what you call it, like Bed Bath & Beyond. What what are they called? Bath and Body Works, those things. Yeah, exactly. And and so we went in there, and at that point, I told my wife, hey, I'm going to go, you know, walk around the mall. And she's just like, why do you always leave me when I come into the store? We're supposed to be together and enjoying it. She's kind of playing the guilt card. And I'm like, dude, I am like in in a store that just does lotions, and I don't do lotions. So I walked around with her a little bit, and she's sticking, you know, bottles up my nose and, you know, squeezing them. What do you think of this one? You know, that type of thing. And, and I'm just like, oh, after a while, they all smell the same. And so I just went and got a massage, right? I was just like, I'm piecing out of this. And, and, and I went and got a massage. It was, you know, it wasn't a full body massage, but it was a full, you know, calf massage, leg massage, bottom massage, back massage, like the chair. There was a chair, right? And so 
I asked her for, for some money, and she, she gave me a five, and I said, well, I'm only going to use a, a dollar for three minutes. And so three minutes went by, and I looked over, and she's still in the lotion store, so, you know, what do you do? You, you go for another three minutes. And after that three minutes, I looked over, and she's still there. So I just put all the rest in, and I'm like, I'm going to hang out here for 15 minutes. And so as I'm sitting there, and it's doing this, and I'm like, oh, I'm starting to, you know, I hear the jingle bells, jingle bells, and a little running snotty kid running in front of me. And, and I was at peace, man. Let me just tell you, my back was good, and I was, I'm kind of starting to fall asleep. And, and then my wife comes up. She goes, hey. I'm like, yeah. She goes, how much time you got left on that? And I look over. I go, like six minutes. She goes, okay, I'll be back. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so I finished my, my massage, and, and she came back, and we got up, and we went and looked for, you know, we have some white elephant gift parties coming up, and looked for that and a bunch of stuff that nobody needs, right? Um, and then we went home. It's not surprising, you guys, that Christmas is one of the most popular holidays in America. In fact, on the list of popularity of holidays, it tops the list. It's number one, followed by Halloween, Thanksgiving, Easter, and Fourth of July. I like the Fourth of July because it's warm, right? All the other ones, it's cold. So Steve likes sun and heat on his body and bald head, okay? So anyway, I found it interesting as I was looking at this that there's some interesting statistics because it would seem, you guys, that Christmas isn't enjoyed around the world like it is here. For example, in Mexico, it's number five on the list of most popular holidays. In Peru, it's number nine. In Canada, it's not on the list. It's behind Boxing Day, right? In Brazil, it's not on the list, but Oktoberfest is number one. And in Puerto Rico, not only does it not make the top 10 or the top 20, it's nowhere to be found, but the good news is the Heineken Jazz Fest is out at number one in Puerto Rico. So clearly, you guys, Christmas is a celebration that has a little bit more meaning in this place than it does around the world. Now, here's some, some interesting statistics about Christmas. Nearly 35 million families buy real trees every year. 35 million Christmas trees are cut down. Now, for all you Mother Earthers, you're on your anxiety right now, right? You're like, this is 35 million trees that we've murdered. Go fake, go fake. You can go fake. You'll support the communist you know, regime of China, but you can go fake. Here's, here's something interesting. 46% of people, I like this, have reported lying about liking a gift. 46%. Of those, 51% of women lied. And 35% of men lied. So evidently, women are a little bit more compassionate, like, oh, this is cute. And they're thinking in their head, this is ugly. And, and men are just like, what, why'd you buy this? right? A little more blunt. 47% of women still want jewelry as the number one gift, and a slightly less percent, 42% of women, want a weekend break for a Christmas present. Now, I don't know what that means, like a break from their kids or a break from their husband or yes and yes, but that's what they want for Christmas. In 2020, the average amount of money spent on Christmas per household was $1,500. Per household. 
Holiday sales in the same year eclipsed a trillion dollars. One trillion. And 22% of Americans believe that Christmas spending will leave them in debt. So regardless of what you believe about this holiday, regardless of, of whether you think, man, it's, 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 it's politi- or politicized, it's commercialized, or, or whatever, whether you like it or hate it, the fact is it is a part of American culture. And every year we deal with this. But this morning what I want to do is I want to look past what I saw as I sat there on the massage chair. I want to look past the blinking lights and the bad music on the side and the snotty running, you know, kid that I almost tripped running in front of me and, and all the wrapping paper and all the glitter and all the trees and all this. And I want to look at what it would look like if all of that was gone and we celebrated Christmas exactly for what it should be. What would that be? Now, immediately, all the Christians are all, it's about the child, yo. It's about the child. We celebrate the child. And we would be right. You wouldn't be wrong in saying that. But there's more to that. There's a lot more to it. Around every Christmas, we have Christmas verses that we pull out of the Bible. And we use them to quote maybe who Christ was or, or what Christ, you know, has done or what God has done in sending Jesus. And they're, and they're famous verses. And I could say some of them and you would know them. Isaiah 7, 14, we'll pull that out. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which is interpreted God with us. Fantastic truth. Wonderful truth. Amazing. Micah 5.2, but you, O Bethlehem, though you be little among the clans of Judah, out of you will come a ruler whose, whose, whose beginnings were from everlasting or whose origins are from everlasting. And we'll use that to say who came into the manger. It was the one, the great I am from everlasting to everlasting, the one who didn't have any beginning, won't have an end, cloaked himself in human flesh. And we would be right. It's a fantastic truth. And then this passage here in Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government there will be no end. And we look at that and we go, wow, what a great truth. Look who came. But you guys, the verses themselves are never to be isolated from the verses that they share on the same page. To do so would mean that you might miss an imperative narrative. You see, Christmas is, yes, about who came. Yes, it's about the child. But folks, if you don't see all that happens in Isaiah 9, then I think you will miss exactly what Christmas is about. In Isaiah 9, we're told who was born. We're told he was a son that was given. We're told he's mighty God. We're told he's the father of eternity. We're told that he's a king that has no end, a government. He didn't have an origin, so to speak. And all those verses tell us who the child was. But in Isaiah 9, it tells you why he came. And you're going to want to pay attention. Because this has everything to do with you. It has everything to do with your situation and mine.
Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. It's a prophecy that goes before the famous verse that we just read. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter times, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. He talks about Zebulun and Naphtali, and those are regions in the Galilee. And what he says is in the latter times, in the darkest places, the people who are sitting in darkness, a light is coming to shine on them. It's a prophecy about who it was that would walk on the sea, who it was that would ultimately be born. In Acts chapter 9, you guys, the, the apostle Paul, before he became Paul, he was Saul. He was, a, he was a murderer. He was killing Christians. And on his way to Damascus, God knocked him. Jesus knocked him off a horse, put him on his back, and showed up to him. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and Saul says, who are you, Lord? And he has a conversation with him there. He interacts with them. God strikes him with blindness right there. And then he says, get up, and someone's going to take you into a city. Later on in Acts 26, Paul rehearses this story to a guy named Agrippa. And when he does, he adds something that was not in the conversion story. It's something that took place in a conversation between him and Jesus that Acts tells us nothing about. And here is what he says, as he's telling King Agrippa in Acts 26, verse 17, he says, I was off my horse, Jesus stood me up, and he said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light. From darkness to light. A great light has shined in a dark place. People sitting in darkness. Paul says, I've been sent to a dark place for people that are sitting in darkness. In Luke chapter 1, when Zechariah the priest, John the Baptist's dad, right? When John the Baptist is born, he gets his voice back. You remember he lost his voice when the angel showed up nine months earlier and said, hey, you're going to have a son. Great news. You and Elizabeth, you're going to have a child. You're going to name him John. He goes, well, how do I know that's true? He goes, what do you mean, man? You've been praying all this time for a kid, and now your prayer's answered, and you don't believe it's true? Okay, since you doubted God, you're going to not be able to talk until the kid's born. And so once he's born, he gets his voice back. He picks John the Baptist, his son, up, and he starts to prophesy over him. And here's what it says in Luke 1.76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord and prepare his ways. You will give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because the tender mercy of our God has given light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. You guys, the Bible talks a lot about people sitting in darkness, walking in darkness, living in darkness, and it's not talking about physical darkness. The lights are on when you walk outside. He's talking about a spiritual blindness. In other words, there's this inability for people to see life the way God made them to see it. We can't. We don't understand it. We don't understand the matters of God. We don't understand. We do our best, but when it comes down to it spiritually, we're just blind. 
That's humanity. You could say there's a darkness that surrounds the eyes of the soul. Ephesians 4 refers to it as a life that's alienated from God with an understanding that's darkened. It doesn't mean you're dumb. Far from it. It doesn't mean you're, you're a moron. You could be intelligent. You could have multiple letters behind your name and, and have all the physical you know, letters of accommodation, but spiritually blind, not able to see. Paul calls this condition, refers to this condition in Romans 3.9. Listen to what he says. Listen to how he puts it. What then are we to say? Are Jews better than Gentiles? You're either a Jew or a Gentile. He says, no, not at all. For we have charged that everybody, both Jew and Gentile, are under sin. For it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. Now, if you take the standards of humanity's goodness and you apply them to your life, my guess is most of you would say you are good people. You would look at others and your neighbors and people that that love their family and their friends and they pay their taxes and they're not rude and they don't go light cities on fire. You would look at them and you would say, hey, I think these are good people. And by that standard, certainly they would be good. But by God's standard, and that's what Paul's applying here, he's saying when God looks out at humanity, you're all hosed. Every one of you have become worthless altogether. No one seeks God. And so if you're looking for a self-esteem message, don't go to Romans 3.9, because you ain't getting it. You're getting a fastball between your eyes as to what the holy God, who's always existed, sees when he looks at fallen humanity. He looks at them broken. So clearly, the whole of humanity is in this darkened state, according to the Bible, and there's this desperate need for God, and they don't even know it or see it. Folks, it is into that darkness that heaven shines its light. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. And through him, all things were made, and nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shone into the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You guys, the world is dark, and people's hearts are dark. Your heart is, or at one point, was dark. The lights were out. There was nothing you could do. You could could hear about God. You could have some sort of reverence to some holy ceremonies and things that you should do. But a communication, a real relationship like a husband and a wife, a a mother and her child, that wasn't there. And, And maybe you groped for it and you wanted it, but you couldn't find it. Because there's a darkened understanding that lies over the heart of humanity and the veil is real. Very real. Turn over now to John chapter 8, which we read. Because here in John chapter 8, you guys, light begins to get really bright. John chapter 8, 
the light which began very dim in the manger, because that's what it was. That light wasn't bright. It was a small flashlight that God put inside of the manger. It was heaven's light. He couldn't say anything. He couldn't do anything, but he was the light of heaven. Well, here in John 8, that light gets really bright, extremely bright. It's so bright that to ignore it would mean that you love darkness, that you love it. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus stands up and he says, I am the light of the world, and whoever will follow me shall not walk in darkness. When Jesus shines his light into the world, when he shines into dark places in our lives, there is one of two things that will happen. One of two responses. The first is we'll run towards it. There'll be a conviction. He'll show us something that maybe we didn't see. He'll open our eyes to something that we're like, whoa, I didn't know that. And there'll be a conviction and we'll run to the light. So many of you are way too young to know this, kind of like the old Poltergeist music movie when Caroline got swallowed up by the TV and mom and dad are like, run to the light, Caroline. And the old lady's like, stay away from the light, Caroline. When you have Christ shine his light in your life, it shows you your life, every part of it. And you will respond by running to it or by hiding from it and striking at it. You won't like it. And that is exactly what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 3. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Anyone who comes into the light has their deeds exposed. But people that don't show that they don't like the light. They hate the light. And it doesn't matter what they say with their mouth. Because there was a lot of people here that said they loved and honored God, but they were walking in darkness. And the Pharisees hated this light. The religious people hated this light. And they came to strike at it. When Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, as he's talking, anyone who follows me won't walk in darkness. He knew what they were doing. And they respond by saying, you witness of yourself, you're a liar. Can you imagine being so in love with darkness that the light of Christ can't penetrate the heart? What's classic, though, is Jesus' response to them. He says, I'm not a liar. He says, and if I bear witness of myself, so what? My witness is true. Why? Because I know where I've come from and where I'm going, and you don't know either. What is he talking about? In Genesis chapter 1, we're told that God created the heavens and the earth. And upon creation of the earth, we're told in the very next verse, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the waters. And then we're told, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and the voice of God said, let there be light. And there was light. Remember, 
we're told that everything that was made was made by Jesus and nothing that was made was made without him. Therefore, the voice that spoke, let there be light, was his voice. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Shouts of Grace Radio, practical conversations from God's Word hosted by Pastor Steve Pearson. We hope you've been encouraged to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. If today's message encouraged you in your journey following and learning more about Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can visit us online at shoutsofgraceradio.com. At shoutsofgraceradio.com, you can listen to all of our episodes, share them online with your friends, and find out more about Pastor Steve. Shouts of Grace Radio is an outreach of Redemption Hill Church in Saratoga Springs, Utah. Thank you again for joining us on today's show. And from all of us at Shouts of Grace Radio, it is our prayer that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ.